join you in worship today. Our God is so good, and He is definitely at work, even in the midst of, of things going on in our lives. And, and I don't know what's going on in your, your week this week, but uh, just as I watched the video of the, the mission agency that you guys, or the mission uh, uh, group that you guys are supporting, and um, you just see God moving in different ways, and uh, to see the uh, 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 from the mouths of children proclaim the praise of God just uh, is such a worshipful experience in and of itself. And so God is definitely at work. He's moving. Uh, his spirit is in charge, and that's one of the things uh, uh, we are starting to see, or you guys are starting to see in Acts as you've gone through that, and uh, just listening to, uh, to uh, Charlie's message last week, that, that the spirit is definitely in charge. Uh, he's moving, and he's doing that for his purposes, uh, for our blessings, and for his glory. And so uh, today we're going to continue in that, um, and I just want you to be reminded of that, uh, that, that the Spirit is indeed moving, and He's moving to and fro for His glory. And so the passage today is Acts 13. Um, Charlie uh, uh, ended last week um, with the, uh, the beginning of this journey that uh, Paul and his team, Barnabas and Mark and others probably uh, left or beginning to leave and be sent off by the Spirit to go on this journey. So... Um, the Spirit is going to lead these believers to a place to share the message of salvation for all people. And this key word, all people who respond in faith. And so the Spirit is leading uh, this, this mission. Uh, it's His direction, and we're going to see His message uh, in, this, in this chapter here. So from beginning to end, the Spirit is in charge. And so let's just pray as we, as we begin. Heavenly Father... Um, we are indeed thankful that, um, uh, that you don't leave us uh, to just wander with, without the Spirit's leading in our lives. Uh, as Christians uh, who have come to know Jesus Christ um, by the Spirit, that we have received eternal life, we can be confident that the Spirit leads us to different areas, to different people all for your glory. And so, God, I just pray that uh, you would help us to see this movement uh, in the early days of the apostles and how uh, it wasn't the eloquence of their words, it wasn't the strategic uh, methods and, um, that, they, that they might have come up with, but most, Im- most importantly, it was the Spirit's leading um, that indeed uh, penetrated the lives of people who... Um, who were enslaved to sin, that they might be freed to be in relationship with the living God. And so we ask for your blessing upon this time today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 13, uh, the Spirit first leads to um, an island called Cyprus. So this is the mission to Cyprus, the first missionary journey. Um, And you're going to see that the Spirit directs believers to proclaim the word, to proclaim the word and to interact with unbelievers. Um, and so we're going to look, starting with verse 4, so uh, buckle up, we're going to fly through chapter 13, and we're going to um, sail over uh, a little bit of the Mediterranean Sea, and we are going to then um, put on our backpacks and journey up 3,600 feet elevation across the mountains to another town along with Paul. So who said his, his journeys were boring? It's more than just a map in the back of your Bible. Um, So look with me in verse 4. It says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, uh, again, the Spirit's in charge. This is the sending church in Antioch. Uh, Just 
the northern part of uh, north of Israel. Antioch is the ascending city where Barnabas and Paul were hanging out, and they, along with others, and John Mark, were sent out, and they went down to um, Seleucia. Uh, Seleucia is just on the coast, still on, on the mainland uh, there, before they set out, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Okay, and then when they uh, reached Salamis, Salamis is on the uh, eastern uh, edge of this island. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues. So they always went to the synagogues. That's where the Jews would gather and a lot of Greeks would gather too. God-fearing Greeks who respected the, the God of Israel, but, uh, but they weren't necessarily believers. And so... Uh, this is where the journey began, and it says John was their helper, their, uh, perhaps some sort of assistant or um, maybe even apprentice. But um, uh, let me, let me uh, start out by uh, maybe even showing you that video. I don't know if that's, that's okay to show you now. This will give you kind of a, if you guys are familiar with the journeys, um, then, then this will be familiar to you. But if not, you can, this is the time where you can look in the back of your, your Bible. If you have a study Bible, you can look at that. But um, I don't know if we can dim the lights. This is just a short, short video Maybe I'll narrate it as we go along. So there we have. So it's going to zoom in here to the Middle East. That big island in the middle is Cyprus. So up, uh, you see Antioch on the right. And then they're going to travel over to that island. And then they're going to go north to Pisidian Antioch. So that's, in a sense, the first part of the journey. So we're going to zoom in here. And we're going to start in Antioch. This is the sending city, the church. Go right down there to the coast. It's not too far over there, but it is quite a journey. Um, And they're going to come to Salamis, um, right there on the edge. Now, we don't know. um, These are all part of the Roman Empire. You see there's some sort of Colosseum there. Um, uh, We don't know if there were any conversions there. They go through the whole island, and they come to uh, Paphos, Okay, this is where the, uh, there's a conversion here. We're going to look at that in a second. And then from here, um, they're going to go all the way north, inland, probably to Italia, but they, they go 12 miles inland to this uh, city called Persia or Perga. And then from here, you can see the mountains. See the mountains? 3,600 feet elevation gain, about 100 miles north, all the way to Pisidian Antioch. All right, and that's where our journey is going to end for today. This is halfway through the first journey. Thank you, Andrew. Um, And so imagine they get on the boat, they leave on this journey uh, to Cyprus, that island in the middle there, which is uh, evidently uh, Barnabas' homeland, Colossians 4 tells us. But this is a Roman province, and up to this point, they've interacted in the book of Acts with Gentiles, but it it hasn't been uh, as strategic, if I can say it that way, uh, where we're, 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 our, our mission is moving out to the Gentiles. They've interacted with Gentiles, uh, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, Peter with Cornelius, um, but now they are setting out to a more prominent Gentile area under Roman control, although there's still Jewish populations that exist in these areas, and hence they go to the synagogues. And so their first stop is this town called Salamis, uh, where they proclaim the word. John Mark is assisting, and uh, that's about all we know of that. Um, and then verse 6, it says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician. So the Lord, the Spirit is directing um, 
And, and I wonder why they didn't even say if there were any conversions in Salamis. I, I don't know. Um, but in some ways, uh, you know, as Christians, we can interact. Maybe there were seeds planted. Maybe there weren't conversions. But in God's timing, um, they, and what he highlighted here was an interaction with a magician in verse 6. A Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. So interestingly enough, Bar-Jesus means son of Savior or um, son of Jesus. So it's interesting that you have this, this person named Bar-Jesus, and he was with another person, the proconsul. Okay, so the proconsul is this, this high Roman official. He's a, this um, uh, magistrate leading the government in this province, and he's a man of intelligence, it says. So you have here two contrasting characters. You have this magician, a false prophet, okay? Um, and then you have this proconsul, Sergius Paulius, a man of intelligence. Um, and it says, This man, Sergius Paulus, summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So he was interested. Sometimes uh, you might see this in, drink, in Greek where uh, they're a little bit more in, um, interested in, in, in some of these things. They want to hear philosophies and that kind of thing. Um, and so he sought to hear the word of God. And that's a theme you're going to see throughout this journey. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. It's not Paul's words, his eloquent wisdom. He says that in 1 Corinthians. And I think that gives, us, um, gives me peace knowing that um, even today, uh, any sort of impact that God does in this message or in, in our lives and our ministry, it's all because of God. It's not the eloquent words. It's not the, the clarity of my speech. It's the power of the gospel. It's the movement of the spirit. And so that's the case here. Uh, there's two characters, um, and one is opposing what, what is, what, the faith. One is opposing what Paul uh, is, 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 is proclaiming. And so um, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks boldly here. He says, uh, he fixes his gaze on him. That's when you know, uh-oh, something's about to happen. Um, he fixes his gaze on him and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. So just pretty harsh, or pretty, pretty, pretty bold words there. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? So you have this person, he's, he's full of deceit and fraud instead of wisdom and way of the Lord. He's the son of the devil instead of a son of the Savior. Ironically, his name's the son of a Savior. Uh, he's trying to mess up God's plan, what God's plan is straight, he's trying to make crooked. And so he's trying to mess it up instead of promote it. And so Paul gives a judgment here. So there's a judgment, and then there's a, uh, a response. You have these two characters. Paul says, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. Interestingly, uh, what's one thing you might think of when you hear that? Who else went through something similar to that? Paul did, yeah. Um, he responded, and, and, and um, uh, we don't know necessarily how this guy is going to respond, um, but, but we surely hope it's a temporary judgment. Um, but the person who does respond is the proconsul. The proconsul, it says, believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Again, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. He saw the power that Paul, uh, what he did there, um, but it was backed up by the teaching of the Lord. And in fact, that, I think that might even have more of an emphasis, the teaching of the Lord. And so his response was, was belief. Uh, it's not just amazement at what God is, but it's belief. 
And so we notice these two contrasts and, and the fact that the proconsul proclaimed his belief is, uh, is something that is expanded on in the book of Acts, uh, what this belief actually is. And so you know, one of the things I ask myself as I read this, um, as I think about the example of Paul and Saul and John and this team, is, is who is the Lord, who, who, is, who um, is the Lord bringing in my path this week that I might be able to interact with uh, this month, this year? Maybe you have an opportunity to build, uh, build a relationship and speak truth to somebody in your life. Maybe it's just a brief passing. But the Spirit is moving us to interact with people. And you guys, you've had relationships that you've run into last week, this week, this year, that you, that, that's only because of God. You don't know why you ran into them, but you ran into them. And you look back, God sets up these relationships. Um, the other thing I was thinking of is that Bar-Jesus, this magician, he had a false message. He was a false you know, prophet. Um, proclaiming a false message. Um, so if we can think about the false messages even that we hear in um, our day pertaining to the gospel, one of them that I can think of is the false message and the lie that if you are good enough, you can make it into heaven. So many people and so many even people in our churches um, this sneaks in, this, this, this lie that, um, and it's hard because I think we want to do something, and by the Spirit, that's a good thing. But attaining, trying to secure something by our own flesh um, is legalistic, and it's not the gospel. Because heaven is not secured by doing good enough, because there's no one who's good. Heaven is secured by forgiven people, and that's what Jesus has done, right? Um, so the Spirit leads them to Cyprus, and now he's going to lead them north. So uh, get back in the sailboat, all right? Get back in the sailboat. We're going to, we're going to travel north um, to Asia Minor, all right? Um, and so we're going to see a little bit more of Paul's message unpacked, the gospel unpacked here. And really excited about this, this part of it. And maybe uh, they went north because, uh, this is kind of interesting, but Sergius Paulus, um, there's a family inscription that has his name on it in Pisidian Antioch. And so it's possible that as Paul was in um, uh, Paphos on the island there, that uh, Sergius Paulus came to faith, and then there was some sort of connection, and that led them north to where he's from, possibly. But the Spirit is moving. They go north. Uh, verse 13, they set out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia which is about 12 miles inland. And then you have this little phrase here that says, but John left them. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Um, if you've read through Acts a few chapters later, in chapter, uh, I think it's 15, um, Paul is kind of rubbed by this. And, and the, this is what we have, but John left them. And, and, and we don't know why, no one knows why, what was John's motive. But this, was, this really rubbed and irritated Paul. Um, and later, um, Luke tells us that there was such a sharp disagreement when they went on their second missionary journey because uh, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, but Paul didn't because he had deserted him. And this was that point. And we don't know why. People have speculated, was it because he was homesick? 
Um, was it a fear of heading north? Because they were about to head through the mountains and there were bandits and all sorts of things, um, robbers. Was it uh, frustrated with the lack of conversions? Was he uncomfortable with the focus on Gentiles, him being a Jew from the Jerusalem area? We don't know any of these reasons, but we do know that sometimes in our lives, Christians disappoint Christians, right? Can we get an amen? <laughs> that just happens. Um, and it's something that, in God's timing, he teaches us how to love brothers and sisters and to forgive and to continue. And, and sometimes that's a slow process for some of us. Um, it's, that's, that's, hard. that's been hard for me, but it's, sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's not. I don't know if it's ever easy, but people hurt us. Um, and the next verse says, but going on from Perga. Sometimes we just got to go on. And the, the beauty of, of how God works is that he, he doesn't often leave things the way they are. Um, in fact, in, uh, later um, in one of Paul's letters, he, he mentions Mark. Bring Mark. He is useful. For me, And so somehow there seems to be a possible restoration in that relationship. But so they move on from Perga, and they arrive at Pisidian Antioch. Okay, so Pisidian Antioch, 100 miles north. Um, this is a 3,600 feet elevation gain. So the thing that I think about is, uh, has anybody ever... Um, done a peak ascent, like in Colorado, where you've done like a 14er? Anybody ever climbed a 14er? Okay. So this is actually, uh, and this is a good 14er, about 3,000 to 4,000 feet elevation gain is a typical average uh, from when you start and get to the top of a 14,000 foot peak in Colorado. So just think, Paul, the coastland, he's going 100 miles walking, I assume, um, through these mountains in fact, this kind of brings some light to uh, 1 Corinthians 11, um, verses 26 and uh, 27. This is just fascinating to me. Uh, it's not 1 Corinthians 11. I forgot where it is. But it talks about that he went through mountains um, and uh, uh, was in danger from bandits and rivers and, and all of these things. In fact, this may have been when he was sick. In Galatians 4, it talks about he first preached to the churches in Galatia when he had some illness. And so he was going through this crazy territory. In fact, if you Google it, it's really beautiful. There's a river going through there. Um, but it's a, a, a crazy um, journey that they travel through these mountain ranges, the Taurus Mountains, and uh, to take the gospel to this strategic place, Pisidian Antioch. Okay, Pisidian Antioch was along this highway of the Roman Empire that was uh, frequently traveled. Um, and... He goes to the synagogue. They always go to the synagogues because it's a good location where people gather, and there's Greeks there as well. Uh, remember, they don't have the New Testament yet, but uh, the custom is that they read from the Law and the Prophets in the Old Testament, and then they would have somebody, particularly a visitor they would really want to hear from, who, who would give an exhortation or expound on what was read. Um, and so Paul gets up, and he does something really, really neat he takes them through the Old Testament, much like Peter did, I think, earlier in Acts, and he connects the dots. Have you ever, um, you know, I, I see them in like coloring books or something, but it's like connect the dots. Um, children in the room, do you all have the, you ever, you ever done those connect the dots things where it's like you have 1 through 27 and you draw a line, 1 to 2, 2 to 3, 3 to 4, and then it has a picture of something like a horse or something? Well, Paul does that here in the Old Testament. 
he, he connects these big events in the Old Testament, and he shows you this picture that it's all pointing to. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. And it's incredible. So I want to take you through that real quick. Um, but I want to do something that... This is a long chapter, so I have to do this. I'm sorry, or else y'all all fall asleep. Um, but I, I apologize. I made this up on the spot yesterday, but um, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you all to stand up for a second, okay? If you can't, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but these are big events, okay? So I'm going to read to you. Um, he says, The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers... And made the people great during their stand in the land of Egypt. So he chose our fathers, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We call those the patriarchs. All right? So let's, let's I'm going to say patriarchs, and I want you, I just picture them with long beards. I don't know why. But just go like this, like a long beard. Okay? All right. That's the patriarchs. Okay, we're going to move over here, connecting the dots again, remember? Uh, he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt with an uplifted arm or an outstretched hand, it says in Exodus, he led them out of it. Exodus, out of it. Um, let's just go with like this, okay? God, this is God doing this, all right? So we have uh, patriarchs, okay? We have uh, Exodus, all right? Um, for a period, verse 18, for, of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. So this is the wilderness wanderings. All right, let's just go ahead and go like this. Wilderness wanderings, just do it once. You'll be falling over. Okay, good. Um, so, we have the patriarchs, we have the exodus, we have the wilderness. Uh, verse 19, he destroyed the seven nations in Canaan, in the land of Canaan, and he distributed their land as an inheritance. All, all that took about 450 years. So, land, they're going over the Jordan to, to, to conquer. This is the conquest. Let's just pretend like we have a spear. This is... Throw a spear, okay? Throw a spear. All right. Okay. So what do we have over here? Patriarchs. Patriarchs. What do we have here? Exodus. What do we have next? Wilderness wanderings. All right. Then what do we have next? The land, the conquest. All right. After these things, he gave them the judges, okay? Uh, we have the judges until Samuel the prophet. Let's just go like this. The judges were... were that you don't mess with them. They're pretty cool. All right? It's like a Superman stance or something. All right? Um, and then they asked for a king. We'll just do the king, crown. Okay? That's the monarchy. All right. So that's... And from the monarchy, from the king, uh, Saul, he was, he was uh, uh, taken from the kingship, and they gave David as their king, and from David came Jesus. Everybody say it. Jesus. All right. So we're going to go through it one time, all right? All right. So the fathers is patriarchs. They were in Egypt. They were enslaved. And then God brought them out with a mighty arm. Exodus. Okay. And then they were in the land. Uh, wilderness wanderings. All right. Um, and then he distributed the land. What's the land? The spear. Conquest. Okay. Um, what's next? The judges. The judges. There we go. Judges. And then kingship. Okay. Kingship, and then from the king came Jesus. All right, there you go. You can sit down. I'm getting dizzy. <laughs> All right, so Paul takes them through the Old Testament, connects the dots. Verse 23 says, From the descendants of this man, David, according to the promise, 
God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. A Savior, a Deliverer. After John had proclaimed before, uh, and then he brings John into this. And so he goes through all that, and he then he brings John, and you can read that. Um, it talks about John who came to, uh, to, to lay the groundwork, to point to Jesus. Uh, it says, while John was completing his course, and then, and then he speaks of him uh, speaking about his ministry to Jesus, uh, which is interesting because we all have a course. Um, and, and John's course pointed to Jesus. So Jesus is the deliverer. He is the savior. And from the Old Testament, uh, this was something that, that God had put in effect from the beginning. In fact, he told Abraham, um, through your seed, the nations would be blessed. And so David was an integral link to this. Um, and Paul's going to say, um, Paul's going to say actually that uh, it's, it's one thing to hear this, but don't just stop and hear it. You need to respond. Don't, don't miss this. He says in verse 26, Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you, who fear God. To us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing Him, nor the utterances of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning Him. So in other words, the rulers, the Jewish rulers knew this story, but they didn't receive and respond. In fact, they rejected and they condemned Jesus, and they put him on a cross. And verse 28 says, Though they found no ground for putting him to death, in other words, Jesus was innocent, they asked Pilate that he be executed. Now watch this. Paul says in verse 29 and following, uh, the content of the gospel. This is really, really rich. Um, he says in verse 29, when they carried out all that was written concerning him. Okay? Because all that was written in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. Jesus said that on, as he was walking on the road to Emmaus, I think in Luke 24, that it all points to him. It was all about him. And everything that was written about him happened just as it said it would happen. They took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. You can circle how many times raised is in this passage. God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. The very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. Do you think they would be proclaiming a, a resurrected Jesus with witnesses um, walking around saying, yes, I saw this? And we, it says, we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus. So you have the apostles, you have the witnesses of this resurrection. And it's for all of you. Um, the word is, is uh, a plural, it, it's, it's for all people. There's this universal scope of the gospel that's, that's being emphasized here with the, the, the proclaiming of this to the Gentiles as well. And then he goes through a series of scriptures 
that really support everything that he has said. Um, and so, uh, the first one you can write next to it, Psalm 2-7. The second one you can write, Isaiah 55-3. And the third one you can write, Psalm 16-10. These are all passages in the Old Testament that speak of this, uh, this, this promised one, Jesus Christ, or the, 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 that, that lead to this point, the death and resurrection. Uh, Psalm 2 speaks of this special relationship. Uh, Isaiah 55, 3 talks about the sure blessings of David, that there would be one, um, the Davidic covenant, that there would be one who would reign uh, forever on the throne of David. And that the resurrection was in fact predicted. Psalm 16 says that the Holy One would not undergo decay. Because David, he died and his body decayed. But there's one who did not decay. There's one who walked out of the grave. His body did not decay. It's alive. He's alive. And so Jesus fulfills this promise. And then uh, he mentions good news. Why is it good news? Why is it good news? Look what Paul says as he unpacks this a little bit more in verse 38. This is really, really neat to see. He says, uh, therefore, anytime you see a therefore, what is it therefore? Uh, this is a crucial point in the passage, uh, in his delivery, in his sermon. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren. It's almost like if you, if you w- wake up at this point, if you've forgotten what I've said, listen to this. He says, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, so this is the key. The key to what's being offered is through him, through Jesus. Jesus Christ is the means for these blessings. Through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So Jesus gives forgiveness and Jesus gives freedom. The word is actually to justify. Um, He gives forgiveness of sins. That's why you need a Savior, because you're enslaved to sin. And he gives justification. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, You see, because he mentions the law. Um, And there's one thing that that we need to know, and that is the law law cannot save. So the law is is this framework... Uh, given to God's people as they lived in this covenant relationship. Um, But the law, in fact, made people aware of their sin. The law made them or exposed sin. So to give you a little illustration, um, I have a two-year-old at home, and um, just last night, you know, she's walking around... Um, with a bag of chips. Uh, she probably shouldn't be eating right before bed, but uh, she was happy as can be. But as soon as I uh, delivered a little bit of guidelines that we need to put the chips up and no, she can't have it, she, that smile turned to hate. <laughs> and she looked at me and ran the other way and said, no, Daddy, I want it, and started to throw a fit and, and I had to get it out of her hands. Um, and so the point is that uh, she seemed to be fine without it. But it wasn't until I 
told her something that it exposed some other things inside her heart. And that's sort of like the law. The law shows us um, our sin, but it can't change us. We need help. We need a Savior to deal with our guilt. We, we, the, the sacrifice is dealt uh, temporarily, but it pointed to Christ who would deal with it completely. And so, um, Jesus saves, the law cannot. Galatians 3 said, For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed have come by the law. Uh, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so Paul is telling them, proclaiming to them, that this forgiveness is not from the law. The law was an external uh, code. But in Jesus, the Spirit is given, life is given, so that we can be forgiven. And we can be freed, we can be justified, we can be declared righteous. Where God looks at our, us as sinners, we can be pardoned, like the, like the song saying, to where He sees us and He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because Christ died in our place. And then to finish and to conclude kind of the end of this uh, delivery that Paul gives, he gives a warning. Uh, a warning for those who might ignore this word. And it's from Habakkuk 1.5, and he says, um, Therefore take heed, so that the, this is verse 40, that the things spoken in the prophets may not come upon you. Uh, this is Habakkuk 1.5. A lot of crazy stuff was happening in those days in Habakkuk, um, and God was using a foreign nation to come in. Uh, says, Behold, your scoffer, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Uh, and I think the idea is don't just marvel, because God is at work and God is doing amazing things. And here, um, it points to Jesus Christ. Don't just watch, but respond to this message. And so they finish the message in verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, um, the people kept wanting, they kept begging uh, that these things might be spoken to them to the next Sabbath. They wanted to hear more. And so when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, uh, the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they urged them to continue in the grace of God. And so, uh, which, by the way, that made me think, in, in, in your life, uh, when's the last time you or I have encouraged somebody to continue in the grace of God? Uh, how, do we, how do we do that? Um, I can think of someone in my life who, who continually reaches out to me, and it's just encouragement to, to continue in the grace of God, that God's in control. Um, and so then uh, in verse 44 and following, uh, we see that persecution arises. So as the universal scope of the gospel goes out to all people, the Jews end up responding with jealousy and rejection. Uh, so they, the whole city comes together to hear the word, um, but the Jews saw the crowds, and they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict the things that Paul was speaking. And, um, and Paul and Barnabas, they speak boldly, and they say, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So the, the gospel is going out to the world. Acts 1.8. 
you'd be witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other parts of the world. So that the mission in Acts is now turning its attention to the Gentiles, to the world. Um, and uh, uh, that's the, the verse quoted there, that I placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And we see here that people who respond to God's word and his message receive eternal life, while those who reject it receive judgment. And then the Gentiles, they hear this. When they hear this, they begin glorifying uh, and rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as has been appointed to eternal life believed. And so the word was spread. Uh, verse 49, the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Where in your life does the word of God need to continue to be spread? Where in our, um, and just go out from there. Um, sometimes we think it needs to be spread in all these areas, but we forget that it needs to be spread first in our households um, and the people we, that are closest to us. And as we begin to serve, God often uses that and touches other people's lives. Uh, but the Jews, in verse 50, incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So as they left, they did what they would sometimes do when there was rejection. They would shake the dust off their feet uh, as a sign that, um, that uh, they had responded in that way. And so then they went off to Iconium. And uh, verse 52 is the last verse in the chapter. If you remember the Spirit, it began with the Spirit leading them. The Spirit was in charge and it ends with the Spirit says, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so there was this, uh, this is the halfway through the first journey. The word is spreading. And the implication is that uh, people are relaying the message. Um, the word indeed is spreading even in the midst of persecution. And so... I think we need to be encouraged that even in the midst of what goes on in our lives, even in the midst of a, a, a COVID crisis and other things in our lives, um, God's word doesn't stop, doesn't return void, and he continues to use us by his spirit as we penetrate uh, the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So keep proclaiming the word. Remember, the gospel saves. God saves in the message of his gospel by his spirit. We proclaim his word. We leave the results to him. And the message of that gospel is that there's a savior. All of the Old Testament, like we did, leads up to a savior. Jesus. God has given a savior, Jesus, out of Israel to forgive and to justify everyone who responds in faith. So may we praise God for sending His Son. And may we pray that others would respond. There may be even people in this room that need to respond, turning from their sin and a lie that they've been trusting in themselves, but to turn and trust 
in Jesus Christ that he died in my place and rose again to give me new life. There's maybe people in our lives that need to hear that because that is an American lie that you need to be good enough to get into heaven. But God's truth is that there is no one good and that Jesus did it all. So may we come to Him, trust in Him, and praise Him for all that He's done and all that He will continue to do in our lives as we depend on Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, What a reminder of the Gospel yet again, um, the good news. Um, it seems so simple, yet it's so um, has such depth to it. And it touches the innermost parts of our heart. Because as sinners enslaved to sin, deserving of eternal death and separation from the living God, Instead, you have given your son Jesus as a provision that as we trust in him, we may not perish but have eternal life. I pray, Father, uh, that you would use your word and the message of your gospel to speak into people's lives that they might respond in faith toward Jesus Christ. May they not trust in themselves but in Jesus alone. We pray for this church. We pray for uh, the people here today as they go about their week. We ask that you would strengthen us and that as your spirit leads us into interacting with other people, that you would be glorified, uh, that we would grow. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.